This is Transistor.fm. Code Fun Podcast Network. Hey, Andrew, how are you doing? Doing well. How's it going, Ron? Hey, it's going pretty good. Glad to be back. How are you, Nate? I'm doing very good. I'm glad to have you back. We kind of missed you the last episode. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode has the pricing, support, and scale you need to take your project to the next level. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com slash rubyblend. I'd like to welcome everybody to another episode of the Ruby Blend, where we talk all things Ruby and a lot of the interesting technology that kind of surrounds that whole ecosystem that we're all either experimenting with or using in our day jobs as well. That was beautiful. I like it. Let's keep it. Yeah, it's been a little bit of a wild ride for me lately. I've just been super busy traveling and not being able to sync up time with you guys. I can uh, give my new job update. And I think maybe the last time I was on, I talked a little bit about it. But yeah, I am now working for Kin Insurance, which is pretty awesome. This is my fourth week on the job and I'm loving it. And one of the things that I really like about it is the fact that they're using rails and the fact that for the most part, you can come into a new rails application and be pretty productive right away. Yeah. I'm really, really happy about that. So one question I've got for you is on your traveling, because I know right now, it's kind of a crazy time for travel and, and group get-togethers and things like that. Did, were you able to wrap up your travel before everything kind of went, went crazy? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, I was in Chicago two weeks ago, and that was kind of like, or at least when everything started showing up on my radar. But yeah, I was able to get home without any incident, and fortunately... On my flight back home, a friend of mine happened to be on the same flight coming from San Diego, and he had wipes. So I was able to wipe down (laughs) everything (laughs) around my seat. Good news. Your last job was using Rails as well, wasn't it? Yes, it was using Rails, among other things. It was definitely a, a more microservice type of architecture. We had a Rails app that was an API server, another Rails app that was serving some React application, actually. But yeah, everything was pretty distributed. That's another difference going into this application is pretty much a monolith as far as everything that I've touched so far, which is has actually been pretty nice. You know, deploys are definitely different. At my previous job, we would deploy once every two weeks, and it was kind of uh, all hands on deck type of deal because we had so many services, and we had to make sure that everything went in the right order so that you know services didn't go down or just failed to start because you know something was done out of order. And now it's kind of refreshing. You know, we deploy you know two, three times a day, maybe whenever we need to. And it's pretty, it's not like a big deal. <laughs> you know, the, I see a notification in, in Slack that a deployment's happening. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. What's the, can you give us a, an idea of like the difference in scale in terms of like the traffic volume that service was 
was handling? I mean, was the last position, I mean, your, your last company with the more microservice type architecture, did it, did it have higher traffic volume that warranted that type of well, you know, distributed system or? Yeah, well, yes, in parts of it. And I think that was part of the, the reasoning behind splitting it out. The, the application handled several different things that kind of all fell into that project. And so, you know, as far as UI users, it, you know, it's an internal application to the company. So there weren't that many users on the UI side. But there was also a piece that, you know, the client apps talk to, and that gets hammered all day. You know, the traffic on that is ridiculous. I don't remember exact numbers, but it's, you know, it's massive. So, yeah, we couldn't really run everything off of the, you know, a, a few servers. It definitely made sense to have the parts that client applications talk to be handled by, you know, some AWS lambdas and stuff like that. It was interesting architecture. It, it worked. It just, you know, sometimes it's nice to just be able to deploy a monolith though. <laughs> so, it, yeah, so that's what I was kind of getting at. Is the, is the traffic volume on the new product similar or, or is it much low, lower volume? I cannot imagine that it's as high a volume as at Malwarebytes just simply because of, you know, the client machines calling. That being said, I really don't know how much traffic we have on the, on the kid app. I haven't actually dug into those metrics yet, but yeah, I don't think, I don't, I can't imagine that it would be nearly as high as, as those services. Are you using uh, traditional rail stuff like uh, background jobs and things like that on the on the Kim Yes, app? we are. And in fact, one of my coworkers just finished up doing a pretty big refactor of pushing a lot of stuff in the Sidekick, which has you know just made a, a lot of things a lot faster. I'll put it that way. <laughs> Yeah, that's one thing that I, you know, it's interesting with Rails. I think a lot of people don't quite understand this is that even though Rails is a monolith type architecture or type uh, framework or encourages you to build in that way, Rails itself is actually, depending on what you do, like if you pull in Postgres or, you know, a MySQL, some sort of a relational data store to store your, your main sets of data, but then you plug in Redis or Memcached for caching and queuing and things like that. And then you set up sidekick and background workers. All of a sudden, you, you are actually running a single deployed distributed system. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting way to think about it. I never thought about it like that before. But, I mean, that is, in fact, what you kind of get. You get the simplicity of, you know, deploying the, the single monolith. But you do also get benefits of distribution in that you have those asynchronous jobs. Yeah, you get some of the distributed benefits of, of running things asynchronously, scaling horizontally, all those sorts of things. But the benefits you don't pick up are, you know, buying some freedom and latitude with your dev team to experiment with different programming languages or, you know, violating, you know, some rule of encapsulation within your monolith or something like that, right? So you can extend a little bit of freedom by going true microservice architecture, but it, it all comes with a trade-off, right? Right. Yep. I've been in a organization that had kind of 
deploys that were happening that were dependent on other things getting deployed like in in time or like you have to deploy the application and then you have to run a rake task for data and then you need to deploy the other application and run a rake task over there and the timing has to be small or you know errors will come through and once you introduce like apps that your app has to talk to that you like have to have like deploys for it just becomes so much more of a thing that you need to start thinking about yeah you simplify it at the the service level but you've actually haven't really gotten rid of the complexity you just push the complexity to more of the orchestration layer right yeah and you know they have servers or services excuse me that a few of them are like that where they have to be spun up in a particular order or else there's an issue with communication you know that's just a result of you know making progress on things and you know at, at, at different times decisions are made that are you know really actually really good decisions for the constraints and the time and then you know people build on them and then you as a result you're just kind of in that situation you know I would imagine, is that part of the reason you were all hands deployment before on your microservices architecture where you had different teams or stewards over different aspects of your distributed microservice layers and, and they there was like so the sequence dependency and so if one thing didn't work then you'd have to roll that back and kind of coordinate that between everybody watching the deployment go phase out yeah pretty pretty much so okay yeah i <laughs> I've been pretty spoiled in the last two two big projects I've worked on have worked on over the last couple of years, which is single Rails monolith. Even though I've very much treated them both like distributed systems that scale horizontally very well, run asynchronous background jobs, all those things, but we just have one deployment to worry about. So what's next? What's what's next in the queue? What are we talking about next? One one cool thing that we did on CodeFund, which you probably aren't aware of yet, Ron. We did talk about it on on uh, another show. We added a layered cache to CodeFund and essentially cut our ad rendered response times on the server side down by about 100 milliseconds. They were they were averaging close to 200 milliseconds, and now we're well below the 100 millisecond average response times on those. Oh wow, which is nice. pretty cool. It uses uh, essentially we use a Redis for our Rails cache, but used a memory store uh, Rails cache object as well. And now we've got a local cache that we can reference and stuff data into. So, and we layer that around the Redis cache. And so essentially, if you've got a high traffic site like ours, where we're handling up to 6,000 requests a minute, we can actually eliminate 6,000 plus requests, you know, give or take out to Redis, like the calls to Redis. We can eliminate those because we can hold for every minute because our, our local cache is very temporary. And so we may, just hold the results from those, the data, the expensive data we're putting into Redis. We actually hold it in local memory and on all of the Rails processes that are executing and hang on to that data for one minute. But that saves us a ton of time because we had a lot of queries going out to Redis to fetch that data, given the traffic volume that we have. Yeah. No, that's interesting. I like that, though. That makes sense. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Being able to say that we have up to 6,000 requests a minute has been amazing for my flexing career. Got to be able to flex, man. Yeah, all over my old coworkers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to bring that back down, though, I mean, those are more like the spikes. We average about three thousand, I would say, throughout the day. 
mean, if you took if you took a daily average, we're we're probably like twenty five hundred to three thousand, spiking up to six thousand. Still impressive. Go ahead and flex, Andrew. Oh, I don't don't you worry. <laughs> Did you guys see that GitHub bought NPM? Yes, I saw that earlier today when I was freaking out about Heroku going down. So, yeah. Oh, I was also freaking out about that. We were twins and we didn't even know it. Right. Yeah, what are your thoughts about picking up NPM? I think it's a good thing because there have been a lot of issues or maybe not necessarily issues, but there's been some controversy regarding the way that NPM operates. I'm not in that ecosystem really, so I just kind of see what other people are saying about it. But I know they've lost a lot of the original people that were there from the beginning. And there's just been a lot of talk about it recently. And a lot of people really want that to be not like the registry for NPM packages not to be owned by a startup company. They want it to be open and like volunteer-based. But, you know, it's a really hard to run something that big volunteer-based without funding. So I think that GitHub acquiring it really was the best thing that really could have come from it at this point. I know you have thoughts and feelings and about Microsoft overall, but in terms of like what could have happened to NPM at this point, I think GitHub buying it is really the best thing that could have happened. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. I am a little wary of GitHub like acquiring all of these open source platforms uh, that basically our livelihoods are sitting on top of, just given their their history of embrace, extend, extinguish. And, you know, they've had uh, Steve Ballmer back in the day called Linux and open source a cancer, right? And so that's still in their pedigree. And it does look like they've turned over a new leaf. And I'm very cautiously optimistic. I think NPM having those resources is going to be fantastic. I just hope that, that they... You know, move it in a good direction. Yeah, I think, I mean, like Andrew, I'm really not in that ecosystem, but I do like GitHub. And I think them being able to partner with GitHub, uh, I'm expecting it to be a beneficial move for them. And I'm expecting that the NPM ecosystem as a whole will get better as a result even though, you know, Microsoft's kind of lurking in the background somewhere there. (laughs) I can't have a single conversation about anything related to Microsoft without Nate bringing up Steve Ballmer. I'm just going to throw that out there for everyone listening. Go find his YouTube video where he's he's just profusely sweating in his blue button-down and shouting, developers, developers, developers. Like, that playbook is still being executed by Microsoft. It's just got a friendlier face on it now. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I remember the first time Nate showed me that video. It was hilarious, to say the <laughs> least. I was like, this is so before my time that, you know, I don't know. We're in a new uh, kind of wave for open source. So, I don't know. I think it's a good thing. Yeah, I, I think time will tell where they take it eventually. Like, I don't think Microsoft has altruistic goals, but I also... I'm happy to see projects like NPM get the funding they need to continue you know, for business continuity and, and service continuity and things like that. So I'm, I'm excited about that. And for the same reasons, I was, I was, I'm cautiously optimistic about them owning GitHub as well. But them letting them, you know, Nat Friedman and, and GitHub kind of operate as an independent business unit. Hopefully that continues. And those people that you know, have open source 
best interests at heart, if they're still in leadership positions, then I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy about it. Yep. So another topic to touch on today, I think, is you know, coronavirus has spread quite a bit. And I think we're all uh, very privileged in the sense that we get to work remotely. And I'm curious what tools, I mean, I, of course, Andrew and I are, are working at the same company at CodeFund, but Ron, what tools are you using at your company, both your current company and your last company to do, to handle remote work? Well, yeah, so I don't actually work remotely, except for now that the offices have pretty much, they told us, you know, feel free to stay home. So yeah, we're not completely decked out for remote. Or at least that I, I don't I don't think we are. But since at least at Ken we do have two offices, one in Chicago and one in St. Petersburg, we're moving more towards you know making at least remote work between the two offices better. One thing that we use for pairing is Tuple, which I just love that thing. We were talking about how how great it used to be when we had Screen Hero. You remember back in the day? Yeah. Screen Hero. And the, and the thing was, like, Screen Hero wasn't perfect. Like, it would be janky at times and you'd have to restart it or whatever. But it was something, you know, and it worked, you know, it, it worked well enough. And then Slack went and just ruined all of our lives. So I'm glad to see Tuple, and Tuple actually works better than Screen Hero did, which I'm really stoked about. Have you experienced any confusion with the icons in Tuple? Oh, man, don't get me started on the icons. (laughs) Don't get me started on the icons. Oh, man. But, okay, so that's the one, you know, not raving review that I can make about Tuple is that the, the icon state inconsistency is a little it bugs me a little bit but you know what hey it's better than what we had i'm just gonna say that at this point we've said this several times about how confusing the icon states are have we actually ever like sent that in as feedback because if not we probably should and stop complaining about it (laughs) well well, hold on i thought you guys were sending it well, my name is like, on the account. It sounds like we needed some more remote tools to make sure we're getting these things taken care of. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's so hilarious. we're going to have to use my favorite remote working tool of all email. Oh, man. <laughs> so, have you signed up for the new email client that's coming from 37 Signals or Basecamp? Hey, uh, hey.com. I have not because as, as excited as I was to hear that they're building something at the end of the day, it's still email and I hate email. Well, they're, <laughs> the saying, I, they're saying that it's built for people like you though. Are they yeah. saying that? Cause I'm yeah, like, the last thing that. I need is another email client. <laughs> I have one comment. And I haven't signed up for it either. And you want to know why? Because to sign up, you have to send them an email. I don't want to send an email. Wait, I, I thought you just, had to, you just had to give your email address, right? You don't have to send them an email. Uh, it says, to get on the list, email us at this address and tell us how you feel about email. And I was like, you mean oh, I have to send yeah. an email with content? Absolutely not. Wow. <laughs> it's like... 
you're applying for it? Can I apply yeah. to receive from you guys? Yeah. Well, I think that's to get in early, but I was like, yeah, I'll just wait. That's fine. I'm not so excited about it that I'm willing to send an email. Okay, Andrew, how many unread emails do you have in your inbox right now? In which inbox? All of them. Uh, All yeah, of like, them? Thousands. Thousands? Unread. Oh, I, I have multiple email addresses. The let's say your two, your work email and your primary. All your right. primary work person. Email. Well, I go I got really good about cleaning out my work email. I have 23 unread messages unless you include roll bar notifications. If you include roll bar notifications, then I have over 200 unread emails in my code fund email address. And so uh, it's not good. It's not my spam account though. Well, one of my spam accounts, only 30 unread because I delete them a lot in my primary. So I, I have a question. Why not just have a roll bar rule that automatically reads and shovels those incoming emails? Or do you well, actually read some them, of them? It doesn't. No, well, no, I don't. But I, it's sometimes good to see that they're coming in, like just like getting the notification that the email came in. Because if I suddenly get pegged with roll bar notifications, then, you know, probably good thing to look at that. But I don't actually read them. It does shovel them into a folder, but it doesn't open them or anything. Gotcha. Yeah, we should we should also point out that some of our roll bar notifications are kind of these known error conditions that we probably should clean up. For example, sometimes we'll get somebody that, that is attempting to view an ad that they don't send an HTTP referrer along with the request, right? It's kind of a known condition and we won't record an ad impression in those cases. So it does create a lot of noise for us. That's sometimes difficult to kind of wade through and make sense of all the notifications. I'm pretty sure I told you one time we should do that. And you said that it was helpful to get the error. So we know how many we're getting. Yeah, so are we going to get rid of the error? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it's, now it's it, no longer helpful to get the error. If, if all we do is ignore the emails, then yes, it's, it becomes, it's a problem at that point, right? I mean, Regardless if it's Andrew not opening them <laughs> or if it's Ron setting a rule to just mark it as read and archive it. <laughs> Yep. My my views do not reflect the views of my employer. I, email sucks. One of my emails that I was actually supposed to be paying attention to, that's why I'm not going to say what email address it was. I didn't see where Google was paginating it. And I actually had almost 300 unread emails in it. And some of them were ones like I actually needed to read. Oh, how did that go? <laughs> there were some apologies that had to get made. You had to write emails with apologies in yeah. it? Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm like, sorry, I didn't see this. I don't really have an excuse. <laughs> that's actually one thing I like about front app. And, and maybe it's not front app itself. It's just my lack of understanding of how to use it super effectively yet. But I, I typically don't go into front. It's an email client and, and select a large swath and then archive them all. I actually have to acknowledge each email, kind of skim it at least, and then archive it, which initially it was annoying to me, even for like those roll bar errors or notifications, because we also get notified by roll bar that a, a deployment happened on staging or we merged to master and that kind of stuff. So it's, it is pretty noisy, but even just kind of skimming those, although I have accidentally archived because it is kind of like a, a quick scan, archive, scan, archive, scan, archive. And sometimes it'll lag a little bit in the UI and then I'll archive one that I was actually supposed to not archive. 
And then somebody will ask me about it a week later and went, oh, uh, yeah, I guess I didn't actually see that email. But for the most part, I'm, I'm pretty decent at that. So, I mean, in terms of tools, front app, uh, on, at least on Mac, I think they probably have uh, clients for other operating systems as well. It's been a good team tool because if there's an inbound email as well, that we kind of need to do some customer support. We can have an, like a private chat about the email and the conversation that's happening. And that's internal to our team as opposed to going out you know, in the, in the email thread. So that's been pretty helpful. Plus you can draw someone's attention to an email that, you know, someone else on the team should handle because we've got email inbound that, that comes to us that like hits everybody on the team. And then we can kind of triage the importance and, and move it over to the right person. I have front. I don't use it because it won't, I can't hook up my primary email to it. And I was like, well, this sucks. Oh, primary being your, your Proton mail account. Yeah. Proton's very secure and they flagged front for not being secure. And then I was like, well, now I'm worried about using it in general. Oh, interesting. But I was like, whatever. Yeah. I mean, if we're, if we're throwing accolades out at tools, I mean, front also has this really great calendar view, which I like a lot because you don't scroll, like you just open the calendar and you look at current day and you don't have to scroll to see the entire day. It's always just visible. So you know what your daily schedule is like. Although I use, calendar just slightly more than I use email <laughs> because I mean, we're, we're all developers. Those types of tools that like take your day and time slice it, whether that be through attention grabbing email or, you know, time slots on your calendar, that's typically something developers don't pay much attention to. And, and certainly I don't as often as I should anyway. Yeah. I use my calendar or I try to use my calendar a lot because I like to time box like deep work times <laughs> and also because I need to know like when those meetings are that I have to be at. So then I will just like grab two hour blocks and just like put a meeting in, in like a two hour block and it'll just be like focus and whatever I'm trying to focus on. And that way gives me some time to just actually get my work done and where like anything else won't get in the way. <laughs> Yeah, it, it can be difficult at times. Like it does seem a little silly to be like, okay, I'm going to schedule time you know, for the next hour after lunch. I'm going to schedule a, a block of time to be creative. <laughs> right? Sometimes deep work doesn't quite work that way. And right. especially for me, like, I mean, that, I, like, I don't know if, uh, how many folks out there have read uh, maker schedule versus manager schedule. I think it's just called maker schedule, manager schedule, something like that from Paul Graham. It's a great essay. And it kind of talks about, the difference between deep creative work and more management type work and, and people that are typically in these in, in where the power dynamic is uh, resting with uh, an individual where they've got more power in an organization, more typically that individual is time slicing their entire day. And so like finding a 30 minute block to dedicate a little bit of time to you or to somebody or a phone call or something like that is very natural workflow. I mean, that's the way work is done, right? And so that's also why meetings aren't so disruptive to them because that's really, I mean, they're time slicing the entire day. But deep creative work is the, it's the antithesis of that mental model, that working model. And so he goes in and talks about like how meetings are a disaster for the creative worker and why that is and kind of explores you know, some of the distinctions and differences between those two types of, I don't know, ways of approaching work, I guess, or types of work even. Right. Yeah. No, and that's, that's absolutely correct. And that's why I like, or at least the, the time blocking 
works for me because at least I will, I, I, I see it as like protecting some of my time, <laughs> you know, yeah. like it, other things may happen, but at least I will have this time to just sit and focus and do, you know, yeah. my, my actual work. Well, I think part of that is why developers, I mean, it, it, clearly that's why developers often get this reputation of being these night owls that will just work till the wee hours in the morning and then they come into the office late. And it's because you you find those periods of time where there's no expectation placed in front of you that you're going to have to stop this deep work and then participate in a phone call or a meeting or something like that. I mean, I know there's been days for me where I've had a very work that needed to be done, but I had a meeting scheduled at 1030 in the morning. And so like it prevents me at times from starting those deep work tasks because I know I'm going to be pulled out. Like you, the whole problem that you've, you've taken the energy to load all of the, the you know, fill your cognitive space up with the problem set and then you're starting to work. And then five minutes later, once you're, once you're really ready to be productive in that mode, you get pulled out of it. And so I think developers oftentimes will procrastinate that deep work. So as another tool that I would recommend to help with that, if you are scheduling time on your calendar to be creative or to be, you know, to do deep work, a tool that will help you get there faster, like to fall into that flow state faster is Brain FM. Oh so, yeah, plus one. I use yeah. Brain all the time. <laughs> yeah, you like for me, I can put Brain FM and do, go on to the deep focus work, um, start that playlist, and within five minutes. Like I'm, I'm right into the problem and ready to go. So it's, it's pretty fantastic. Yeah. On the, on the, on the focus setting. Yeah. I, I found similar five, five to 10, between five to 10 minutes. I'm usually in the zone and only like notice that because like something has happened and I'll be like, Oh, whoa, you know, you know, you don't really notice it until you're not in it anymore, but yeah, no. The yeah. Developers go through like your, your the, the, ritualistic things too, right? So you sit down, you want to get comfortable, you kind of adjust your chair the way you want it and you, you lean back just the right way. But before you really start the deep work, you'll then check Twitter once and maybe go look at Hacker News or something. And then you kind of like twiddle around with your Vim settings or, or something before you, you're, like you're doing all this procrastinating before you really settle in, like, cause you're, you're going through these rituals of, of preparing your mind for the deep work. Brain, I found that Brain FM allows me to kind of sidestep that, like step right over it and get right to being productive. Right. Yeah, no, that absolutely, you know, and I, I like brain also for the, for the meditation tracks. So I, you know, I try to do some meditation most mornings. Um, I don't always get a chance to, because, you know, stuff just happens. And if I don't do it in the morning, then like it's not going to happen that day. But brain is also effective for that to, you know, get to get your mind into a place where you can meditate. I really believe in that particular product that has helped me a lot. You guys have reconvinced me to turn that subscription back on. I've tried brain. I've tried all of those things because I have ADHD and they're like, well, one of these might help you. None of them have really worked yet. And that's why I also am very... I guard my time, especially for meetings, because if I have a meeting, it takes me a long time to get back to whatever I was doing. It's just a major disruptor for me because once I'm thrown off, then it's just, it's, there's no telling what's going to happen <laughs> for me, at least. Yeah, I think the, the studies are showing that it's a minimum of 20 minutes 
even like if there's just a, especially if you're in office, somebody just taps you on the shoulder and say this, they'll just take a second. Or and nowadays that happens in Slack, right? If your attention is, is broken on a deep problem, it's a minimum of 20 minutes for you to kind of get back to where you were before that interruption occurred. Yeah. And I think it can be more if you have like ADHD or some type of like attention difficulty, it's definitely way more because I've lost hours. Like someone threw me in a meeting I wasn't expecting. And the mere fact that I wasn't expecting it threw me off like that much farther. Yeah, I don't know. For me, like the unexpected meeting, like the impromptu ad hoc type interruptions, I think I, I deal a little better with those. Whereas I'm, I'll anticipate the interruption when I see it on my calendar. And I will procrastinate actually starting the task in the first place. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm like too. Like if I get to a place where, you know, I need to, you know, move on and start something else. And then I'll be like, uh, but there's a meeting. So uh, what's going on on my Twitter feed? Which emails can I just mark as read and archive? <laughs> the one thing that always helped me. And honestly, I never started, I still don't really do this, but I don't use any social media on my computer. And I had never even had them logged in until I met Nate and Nate would want to show me something on Twitter. So, but I still, I don't browse Twitter on my computer at all. I may look for something, but I only browse social media on my phone, which is definitely a big help. Yeah. For me, it was the opposite. I had to take the apps off of my phone. So I'll still look at Twitter, both on my computer and on my phone, but without the app. It makes it a little more difficult and and a little, you know, it just adds enough friction to where I don't waste too much time in those, you know, on on Twitter or other other apps like that 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 I may have had installed. Of course, Facebook got deleted a long time ago for me, but uh, yeah, I deleted Facebook a long time ago. I had a nightmare about Mark Zuckerberg last night. <laughs> oh no. So what, what what exactly was happening in this nightmare? I don't really remember all of it. I don't really want to talk about all of it. All I remember is I woke up and I was fearful of Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> well, I think that's probably a good a good position to to have. <laughs> well, yeah, but it was more fearful from like a like a military standoff kind of position. Oh man! Oh wow! I have very active dreams. <laughs> so no RailsConf. Did we talk about that last week? Maybe. I think we touched on it. Or at least we talked. We said we were going to talk about it at some point. I was so out of it last week. I don't even remember. But yeah, so we didn't mention it last week. Rails comp got canceled for May. Unfortunate. I know. We were all planning to go, I believe. So it's unfortunate. But, you know, we got to do what we got to do. I think if anything, I'm more like sympathetic to the conference organizers, Ruby Central, they definitely were trying to hold off canceling it because they said it would be like a massive hit for them if they had to cancel. But they did. So, you know, just be on the lookout if there's anything you know you can do. Ruby Central has ways to donate, buy merchandise from them. You know, they're a great organization that we should try to help out if we can, if we're in a position to. 100%. I, yeah, I think so. It's, or, or we wait for Microsoft to announce that they've purchased Ruby Central. <laughs> oh, man. There it is. You know, the situation is affecting a lot of places and a lot of people like that. Like, everything's canceled, right? Like, the NBA is canceled. I don't know if the Olympics are canceled, but if they're not so far, I'm sure they will. Like, everything's getting canceled. 
a lot of people are being affected. And, you know, it made me think about, you know, just, you know, the, the, the quote unquote everyday people I know that are being affected as well, because, you know, you know, our office is in downtown St. Pete and there's a lot of local restaurants there, right. That are open, you know, Monday through Friday during lunch to serve the people that are, you know, downtown working. And since there's nobody downtown working, there's no business for those people. And while we can still work and get paid, you know, working from home, there's a lot of people who, you know, are not as, as fortunate as we are in that regard. And even, you know, like today, you know, my wife and I were going to make something to eat. And I, I got an email from Uber Eats that said, you know, you know, if you order from any independent restaurant, you know, we'll waive the service fee because they're trying to help out, you know, uh, the mom and pops and stuff. And so we are like, okay, we'll go ahead and order something from Uber H just to, you know, try to, try to support people who are not, not as fortunate to still be getting paid while you're at home working. So. I know. I, I think the economy is filled with so many of those jobs that we really haven't like the second order effects that are, are that we're are going to feel in our economy because of the coronavirus. Or it's kind of hard to predict at this moment. I mean, it's, the Fed dropping rates to zero, that sort of stuff. I mean, I'm sure all those things, all those things are going to help. But at the same time, yeah, there's there's going to be a lot of displaced employees and the secondary effects that are that, that event will eventually come down and hit us, you know, people who have the ability to work remote. It's like we're all connected, and so it's it's nice to know people like that starting to to offer help. Like I saw, I read a story yesterday where there was a particular hospital that had some respirators that weren't working and it was because of a valve that was busted or, or malfunctioning or something on, on several of the respirators. And so a local business heard about that brought there that was doing 3d printing. They brought their 3d printer to the hospital and reverse engineered the valve and basically 3d printed valves and got those respirators back online. So it's kind of fun to see those types of stories. And I, I hope to, to hear more of that type of good news instead of versus all the panic and whatnot. Right. It's hit pretty close to home for us because just this morning we heard that there was a student at my daughter's high school that has, and now has a confirmed case. Man. Yeah. That's rough. That's a really, that's a really nice story though about them 3d printing that valves. And it, you know, it's, it's, it's things like that where I'm like, man, you know, we can be so good to each other. Right. But why does it take, like, you know, it getting to this for us to to be good to each other sometimes? It's just, uh, yeah. I don't know. It's hopeful the, and disappointing at the same time. Yeah. The, the, it was funny. They had to reverse engineer the valve because the company that actually produces the respirator would not release the, like, the blueprints or the plans or whatever. Oh, wow. There you go. <laughs> There's the other side. That's crazy. I heard some distilleries making bootleg hand sanitizers and, you know, distributing that for free, which is, which is nice. I guess we're just capable of such good and such, you know, evil. It's just weird. Yeah. I know. I've, I've went and dug up that, what is it? Fred Rogers. I think that's his name. The, the guy that played Mr. Rogers on TV so long ago, like in the seventies or whatever. Oh, yeah. He's got this uh, great video talking about whenever there's a, uh, 
tragedy or, or emergency or, or things like that. But his mom told him, you know, at the times that you were most scared to, to look for the helpers, like people would be on the sidelines helping out, helping others and, and providing relief and that sort of thing. And if you look for those people, if you look for the helpers, then, then you will be filled with hope. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a good quote. No one in my area has it yet. Like no one has been confirmed in my city. I live in a pretty big city, but I went out yesterday just to drive around for a little bit because I was wanted to get some outside time and it was just ghostly, very ghostly outside. No one, no one out, no one around. But yeah, I'm still lucky that no one around me has it yet, but it's not a question of if, it's more of like when. Yeah. And also a question of what you're going to do when you run out of toilet paper, because there's I have, none anyway. I fixed that. I already we got that. We've already got my plan. I got a hose out back. There's no problems here. <laughs> I had a bidet installed. <laughs> yeah, thought about it. I was like, that would kind of be nice, right? Yeah, we actually, you know, all the all the places around here are out of TP and BJ's said they were getting a shipment in this morning and to be there first thing. So we were there like 15 minutes before they opened and there was a line forming and everything. And, you know, it was like a mad dash once they raised the, the little, the gate or whatever and get in there. Every, like the whole, everybody in there converging on the same spot in, in the store, no toilet paper. Like <laughs> the, the shipment didn't come in. I'm like, <laughs> like, like, okay. Got some nice puffs uh, tissues with lotion. So, yeah, see, uh, the, the trick is to just hit the drive through at your local restaurants and ask for extra napkins. <laughs> right. Very, that reminds me of this family guy episode. He's like, here's a very thin napkin. <laughs> no, I need the two ply. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Can't be greedy. Yeah, two ply means you could split it and have one ply each. <laughs> right. Help your fellow man split your two ply. And split your two ply. <laughs> if someone's out there a four ply, shame on you. Quilted. Oh, Come God. On. So, Ron, you had mentioned your, your company isn't remote on a regular basis, but it sounds like you're pretty well equipped to going remote. How has it been? Is today the first day or have you been remote for a little bit? Yeah, today's the first day. I mean, but we, you know, we've had a policy that it was like, you know, anyone that needs to work from home can work from home. You know, if you've got like a repair person coming to the house or whatever, you know, they're, you know, it's, you know, do whatever you need to. So, you know, it's not completely, you know, foreign, but yeah, today is the first day that I, I believe everyone everyone was given the option and I think everyone has taken it. It was mainly though, I mean, because we only have, I think, seven people at this point in the in the Florida office. It was done mainly because, you know, the headquarters is in Chicago. You know, there's quite a bit more people there. And also the dynamic is different. You know, in Florida, we... You know, I, I go out, I get in my car and I drive, I park and I walk into the office. Whereas the majority of people, if not all of the people in the Chicago office are taking public transportation, you know, taking the train. So you're like, you know, you're encapsulated in a, a metal pill of disease, you know, 
it's 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 a little more risky for you know for them to come into work just the you know the act of coming into work is not advisable so and is everybody at the company i mean it's a it's pretty much a tech company is everyone able to do their jobs remotely i believe so some people work on the phones and i'm not exactly sure how that is set up but I think that there have been decisions have been made and things have been put in place that will allow them to do their work from home so so yeah it's hopefully everyone's going to remain well in the, in the midst of all of this I think we're kind of winding down, but did you guys see that there's a GitHub Actions hackathon going on right now? I did not see that. What, yeah, what does that, what does that entail? So let me pull it up so I say this right, but it is a hackathon project from GitHub where they are basically trying to, con- they're encouraging more people to you know, use GitHub Actions and create their own GitHub Actions. So they have a hackathon going on. It's called, it's at githubhackathon.com. And it is trying to encourage people to build actions. It's a four-week hackathon challenge, challenging the community to create original GitHub Actions, yada, yada, yada. And then the first 1,000 people that submit an action, I think it needs to be submitted on the marketplace, on the GitHub marketplace, and basically released. The first 1,000 that are authenticated or approved or whatever get free GitHub swag. So there's still 15 days left with that. I submitted one and I think I was one of the first 500 or first 1,000 because I was looking at some of their front-end data and I saw a number that would make me think that I might have been within the first 1,000. But yeah, I got one submitted for basically running like a bundler, bundler audit on your pulls. So yeah, but yeah, what's going on? Congratulations. Enjoy your new NPM shirt. I will. (laughs) (laughs) I checked the official description and the prize is worth $21 and some cents. So we'll see. Oh, nice. 21. Yeah. Yeah, very specific. But yeah, that's going on. So if you never play with actions, they're definitely fun. There's, I think... I, don't know, I think we've talked about this before, but to me, if you want to interact with GitHub and do small things with GitHub or small CI actions and GitHub actions, perfect. But if you want to really like, I wouldn't test your entire Rails app in actions specifically, especially if you have a solid amount of tests. But yeah, for little things, it's it's definitely fun to play with them. I've had fun building them in the past. So I went ahead and submitted one real quick. Does it feel like a, a version 1.0? With actions, yeah. or, or are they still making changes that kind of break stuff? I would probably call them version 1.0. It's weird because they've kind of segmented things out so that they can independently update them, if that makes sense. Like, there's certain, if you want to install Ruby in your action, there's a few ways to do it, but the easiest one is to use an official GitHub action to install Ruby. And there is ones of those for most of the other languages, there's caching actions. So all the ones that are supported and created by GitHub, they have been going through a lot of changes, I feel like. But in terms of like the way it kind of works right now, I feel like that's pretty cemented. Basically, everything's running in Docker, I believe. Yeah, I, th- I think that's kind of cemented down. Very cool. Well, is there anything else we need to touch on today? Oh, I 
created a website if you're interested in online Ruby meetups at rubymeetup.online. I know your sense of your sense of timing on that was was impeccable. Yeah, I I I said this to a friend the other day. I don't know why somehow I always get lucky. <laughs> so yeah. it sounds like how many email addresses, how many people have expressed interest? Around 200. Okay. I haven't really marketed as well as I could or will, but I didn't think there would be a lot of interest. And I put this up probably right before everything started coming out with COVID-19. So then everything started happening. And then, yeah, I got a major boost from all that started kind of coming out about that. And yeah, unexpected. I didn't really think this was going to get any popular or any popularity whatsoever, but there seems to be. And I've had some companies reach out and express interest in it and at least like helping maybe sponsor it or providing some expertise. So I think we are going to do something with it, probably meetups, definitely. And then we, and when I say we, I mean a few people that have offered to help have uh, thrown around the idea of doing an online Ruby conference, but that's TBD. But I think we're, we're actively working right now to try to get up some Ruby online meetups. Nice. So you you got some help on the like on the marketing sales arm of it. Sounds like, yeah, some offers to help for sure. Very so, cool. Yeah. Well, keep us updated on that. That will be interesting. It'd be kind of fun to have a place to go meet other Rubyists face to face, at least through Zoom or some other tool like that, right? Yeah, and I was talking to Curtis. Curtis, I think his last name is Rainbow Green. I think his name is Curtis. He uh, maintains VCR, the VCR gem. And he's been around the community for a while. I think Nate and I've talked to him in the past and I messaged him on Twitter and I was like, Hey dude, I feel like you would be a good person to ask some questions to about this. And he specifically, which the only reason I thought about this was because what you said, he specifically mentioned that people who are autistic or on the spectrum don't want their face shown in public and they have a hard time seeing other people's faces as well. So that offering, he was like, you should think about that. So I was like, yeah, we we should totally offer like an audio only version. That was something I had never considered until he said it, which is why I was glad. I was like, all right, I need to start reaching out to more people in more diverse areas who can offer some suggestions and make this a very inclusive thing. Yeah, no, exactly. That's uh, that's fantastic. So I'm excited to hear see where this goes. I am too. Well, cool. Should we wrap up? I think that's a wrap. Yep. Good chatting with you guys again. We'll see you next time. All right. See ya. See ya. Stay safe. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. With 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia, enterprise-grade hardware, S3-compatible storage option, and their next-generation network, Linode delivers the performance you expect at a price you don't. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com slash rubyblend. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. 
If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.